This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This week on Brummie's World. We never got the flowers from the academies, never. He was the funniest teenager on television, by far. Uh, the process of the pilot was one of the most painful things Michael and I and Matt and Jeff Manel ever went through in our writing wow. careers. Be aware, when they raise the prices of their monthly subs, they are basically messaging you that they think you're fools and that you'll pay anything. The driving couple of the show was Corey yeah. and Sean. When the spawn meets world. What up, Riz? What up, Riz? And welcome to Brown Meets World. When it's Brown Meets World. You're, you guys, it has been forever. We are so happy to be back. Um, Like, as you know, we've it's been- It's been on- too damn long, Siege. <laughs> too damn long. Too damn long. <laughs> uh, and we've heard you. Uh, I, I, I was telling Tony earlier, um, I actually had someone reach out to us the other day when we released our uh, mixtape, and they were like, uh, do you know you can start recording season seven? <laughs> we know. We know damn well. We're just making this special for you guys. And <laughs> making it special we are. You guys, this is our this is our pre-season seven episode, um, and we have a lot in store. We are going to talk about it. It's also our anniversary. So we have been recording this podcast for the last six years, since November yeah. of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we are we're entering season seven as we enter our year seven. <laughs> it's very poetic the way it's worked out. Obviously, there have been things that have kept us from finishing the podcast earlier, such as the strike. We had some delays during COVID and, you know, uh, but... The thing Overall, I always say, having ADHD and being you and I, hundred <laughs> undiagnosed ADHD for like the first chunk of our podcast was a big part of it. Um, but I will say that everything kind of happens for a reason. As I kind of look back on this last six years, uh, had we finished the podcast quickly, we would have never had the opportunity to be on Pod Meets World. We recorded our first interview with pod meets world almost exactly a year ago so the last year in itself has been kind of a roller coaster in terms of just like what this process has been like for us and and so yeah just a lot of changes that's happened in six years absolutely um and on top of that as you said in the past year we have seen them the cast live <laughs> three times at least three times and we have uh, been able to meet so many of you at these live shows which have been so amazing like to be able to share not only in our fandom but also to like meet you guys take photos sign things it it's really great to be able to actually look back and be like oh we were just two guys starting with not even zoom at the time and now we're we're here we know that we're being heard and it's it's fantastic the the change that has happened in this last year just to put this in some perspective a year ago we hadn't 
met any real community of Boy Meets World in person from yeah. like just the fan like we had interactions online but we never met you guys in person we also had up until a year ago never met any of the cast of Boy Meets World and since then <laughs> since then we have met the core four exactly we've met the core four so met, like it's we crazy met ben this year which is crazy we met Ben, I don't even know that Will and them have met Ben in the last year, and we did. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Not only that, from going to the live shows, we saw Matt, we saw uh, Feeny. Uh, yeah, we got uh, to see Bill Daniels. Bill recently. And, we, you know, we were there for the bully reunion. So, like, we've just been able to, like, really be in the same room with almost every cast member of the show. And it's really incredible. Just Absolutely. in one year. We need Rusty and we need one of the uh, Morgans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> in order to really, like, solidify it. Uh, but, okay. So, uh, you guys. We have another really special treat for you today. As we said, it's our anniversary episode, but it's also our preseason seven episode. And we could not think of a better way to start the preseason seven episode than with an interview with one of the writers of the most iconic episodes of Boy Meets World itself. We will be talking to the Mark Blutman, um, writer, comedian, extraordinaire, EP on both Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World, Emmy Award winner, Mark Blattman will we know by the way <laughs> we've met him a few times now just in this last year going to strike events where Mark was heavily involved in the WGA strikes um yeah we got to talk to him on the picket lines and that's how we were able to get him onto the show so just it, it, all in a year small world Small world, um, and we're really excited. But before we do that, a few reminders, as always. You, of course, we want to remind you guys, you've been reaching out to us on social medias. You've been sending us emails. You've been talking to us. Um, we appreciate that. So if you have anything that you do want to say to us, email us at uh, at gmail.com. Uh, if you're listening to this on your phone or listening to this on YouTube, also make sure that you subscribe and leave us a rating on both platforms. We appreciate it. We love you guys. And I guess we just kind of like should get right into the interview with Mark. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump into our interview. Like we said, guys, we had the pleasure of chatting with a very special guest, uh, Mark Blutman, writer and comedian, one of the key voices during the WGA and SAG strike, as well as a key writer for Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World, in addition to so little time with the Olsen twins, and we'll find out how he had the part with Smart Guy as well. <laughs> um, and he also recently won an Emmy for his work on Apple TV's Ghost Rider. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Girl Meets World, Mark Blutman. There I am. How's it going? It is going good. How are you guys? We're we doing are great. Wonderful. First of all, what a way to end the day with smiles like that. <laughs> That's what you want to hear. <laughs> what I you're mean, seeing is the pure excitement that we're able to talk to you finally. Exactly. Oh, gosh. I doubt that. But listen, <laughs> it, it makes a guy feel welcome. I mean, you guys <laughs> always are um, such joyous energy. And oh, I that's it. good. That's what we yeah. want so much. We appreciate that so much. I know I've met you a bunch of seen you a person, but it's like, we finally get to talk about boy, which is like the thing I've been dying to talk to you about. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I thought we were going to talk about so little time and that's it. The Olsen twins. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't talk. No, you know, first of all, the support, not just for the show, but like during the strike, <laughs> y'all out there walking, you know, supporting, it's pretty amazing and impressive. And so oh. um, I, I would 
you know, always be available to to chat with you guys. I mean, you guys are about as real as as they come. So here we, we are. We definitely appreciate that. Yeah, like honestly, it's funny because in my mind, it's like if you love something this much, you have to support it and the people who make it as well. And so it was like no question when we found out you guys were right around the corner. We were like, yes, we will be there. We've dedicated our lives to this show at this point <laughs> yeah. in time. So why That's not? so honestly. dope. Yeah. Now, were you both at the uh the appearance at the Orpheum or I know one of you were there. You were yeah, both yeah. there? Yeah, we were both there, yeah. So I was blown away because I've never attended one of those things before. Oh, okay. And, so for our listeners, wow. you're talking about the Pod Meets World live show that was in LA last week. I just want to catch them up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they tour and they do the the you know live appearances and stuff. And so they invited myself and David Kendall. Uh, for those who don't know, David ran Boy Meets World the years before I did, and we've been friends forever. And and so we went. And look, we know, you know, listen, I, we're on social media. We get it. You know, we may be a little older, but we know the love. We know the fan base. We know that, you know, it has not waned. If anything, it has grown and yeah. flourished, much like Feeney's flowers. <laughs> and despite knowing all that to be in the audience and to witness the love and, and, you know, the cosplay that was going on. Yeah. I mean, dudes, there were two different people dressed as Feeney's fence. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we had two versions of Linda and more Linda as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then more Linda from the uh, New Year's Eve episode from the train, train of fools, whatever. I remember that's, what's crazy. You know, all these years later, 30 plus years, I still remember names of episodes. There were also, there were two or three different people dressed as little Corey, yeah. everybody's favorite little pig. Yeah. You've written so it's many so iconic episodes. So it's like, how, what does that even feel like to see your work live on in this way? Like not yeah. just like something that is still running on television, but something that people cosplay as 30 years later. So I don't know if you saw me, saw where I was sitting, but I was doing this the whole day, the whole oh, night. Wow. I was doing this because to answer your question, it's overwhelming. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of television shows, and there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of movies. But certainly in television, obviously in movies with superhero movies, there's a lot of cosplay and eternal fandom. But there are very few sitcoms that could stand the test of time like that. And 30 years later, an entirely new generation of fans that probably learned about it from their parents are out there not only supporting, but, but, but dressing up. And to your point, to sit there, and again, we know the love and appreciation because once the internet hit, and you know, especially when we brought back Girl Meets World, people were reaching out to us and I have a healthy following and people are always hitting me up and saying things. And so, you know, we started to get it. Yeah, but to sit in an audience in a theater and see people dressed as characters you created and then talking about favorite moments and talking about 
Boris College, which was just a silly <laughs> thing that David Kendall came up with one day that, well, if Eric's going to get into a school, it's going to be a fake school. Let's call it Boris College. And somebody's there dressed in a Boris College t-shirt. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And that's why the tears were flowing. And then the love that Ryder, Danielle, and, and Will showed us, calling attention to us sitting in the audience, and to get our flowers from the fans live as opposed to somebody hitting me up on social going, I'm a big fan, but to hear it, to feel it, man, oh man. I mean, that was, that was a, a really good cry. What do you think was the secret sauce that made people relate to Boy Meets World and what kind of contributed to its longevity? So it's, it's, it's A and B and A has to have B and B has to have A. And what I mean by that more specifically is no matter how spot on, good, relatable, et cetera, the writing is, if the casting gods have not blessed you, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah. And no matter how good your cast is, if the writing's not there, it ain't gonna happen. So we were A meets B and quickly knew that the audience would be delighted. Listen, you know, I use friends as the easy example. Put six other people in those parts. What happens? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and 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 it, there's so much. And when I say the casting gods, you know, like with, you know, faith in general, you have to believe and not everything is placed in front of you from the beginning. I mean, Danielle was not there in the beginning. There, yeah. there was, you know, no. There for a lot. <laughs> exactly. And so all of a sudden, when you talk now, 30 years later, about the magic of Boy Meets World, people are quick to go, well, it's Corey and Topanga. There almost was no Corey and Topanga. And although the show arced with their wedding and stuff, to me and how I always approached the show, it was always Corey and Sean. TC, one of the things that we really talk about is the bromance that was kind of like defined, especially for our generation, with Corey and Sean. And knowing that you were responsible a lot for the Corey and Sean hijinks, uh, where, where did that come from? You know, I would have to say, when I was younger, I was great. My comfort show was always Happy Days. Mm -hmm. It just was. That was the show that uh, me and my brother watched with you know, usually my dad. To this day, my dad is 89 and he's nicknamed Ralph after Ralph Mouth, the character from Happy Days. Um, and so we still call him Ralphie Boy uh, all these years later. And so that was a great influence on me. And when I joined the show in year two, it was already these two kids were so defined as polar opposites with incredible love for each other. And, and that love does not have to be articulated. You can just see it when they interacted. And I just knew the formula for a show that would have legs would be these two guys getting into trouble because that's what kids do. Yeah. You know, you get a, and you pull pranks and schemes. And when I started, people, you know, whenever, I guess on, on pods and stuff, I'm often asked how I started and, and I loved comedy and I had a friend who was really funny and we would watch Saturday night live all the time. Right. Mm 
Hmm. We would just watch it. And one day we said, let's write some stuff. And we wrote sketches. And this is back in the beginning, the late 70s. So it was John Belushi and Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, blah, 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 Garrett Morris, except the original cast. And just incredible. And so we wrote these sketches and they were pretty good. We go, let's send them in. Send them in to where? To who? To make a long story short, we ended up scamming a meeting with <laughs> Saturday Night Live at the age of 17 years old. Wow. They had no idea. Me and my friend were kids. They loved the material. They flew us to New York. When we walked in, the head writers, Franken and Davis, looked at us and went, oh, you guys are kids. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the kind of stuff Corey and Sean and my mind could and would do. They were an extension of me. There's no such thing as impossible. There's no such thing as no. If I have to hand in an assignment about business, why not turn Feeney's empty house into a bed and breakfast? <laughs> Makes sense to Sean. It would have made sense to me. So in answer to your question, their relationship truly was an extension of, of how I approached life. That there, I am? No, no. Get rid of the, the you know, him, him. No. Possible. Everything yeah. is possible. And so, plus, they were so good together. Yeah, that chemistry. And, 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 and you know, we did a couple episodes where we, and again, keep in mind it was the 90s and there was nothing homophobic about it. We just thought, you know, their relationship, what's a fun way at the time of showing their relationship could withstand the threat of a female? Yeah. You know, and we did that episode. Like where, you know, they met clandestine meeting in the library. And, yes. And they had the Cinnabon with the seat for Corey. Corey. Yeah. Like, you know, like it just seemed like their relationship was, well, it was probably stronger than Corey and Topanga. Yeah, definitely. We think so. Uh, I mean, their friendship to us, we think is really the centerpiece of the entire show, the center relationship. Agree. Agree. And it's important. What's interesting to us is growing up, I know that I had a lot of friends, specifically male friends, where we did, did feel that close. And it wasn't, you didn't really have a language for it. And so to have a show like Boy Meets World be like, you know how like the most important person in your life is your best friend? at this age what does that like what happens when girls enter the picture what happens when you know you want different things but this is your person this is your life partner at this point in time so to that let's be honest so you know and i get along great with my ex-wife we were married 14 years we have two amazing kids but it ran its course yeah but i've had i've got three best friends for over 40 years that 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 shit ain't running its course. <laughs> sure. That's a very good doesn't. point. That was, again, to bring it, you know, full circle to what we're saying, to me, that was, you know, that was the key to the show was Corey and Sean. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Mark, I'm also a huge SNL person. I love stand-up comedy. I know that this is a world where you kind of originated from, you know, <laughs> Coming from stand-up, what did you learn about writing a joke? And what's the difference between telling a joke and writing a joke? Uh, performance. <laughs> so, <laughs> writing, writing a joke, you can have the worst delivery in the world, you know, because <laughs> if it's funny on paper, it's funny on paper. 
But if you're a good performer, you could take a B or a C level joke and sell it. Um, you know, so if you're just a joke writer without that flair and you're pitching in the room, sometimes you're going to have a killer joke miss and not end up really? in the show. So for me, I would say about 75% of my act was riffing with the crowd, a lot of improv, a lot of ad libbing. So I was super fast and facile on my feet. So that made me really good in a room where, you know, there could be, you know, a line being printed under a character on the screen. And I've got the joke before the line is even finished. So I think my 10 plus years, I started in 1979 at the age of 19. Yeah. The first time I went on stage and I was uh, headlining comedy clubs all across Canada and the U.S., I was regular at the comedy store up until 1991. So wow. all that made me a really, really effective comedy writer because, again, as I said, most of my act was just riffing with the crowd. And so I had a very kind of fast mind. But, you know, there are writers that are more cerebral and they'll come up with a joke, but when they pitch it in the room without that, hey, so, I, you know, it's a little harder to land. I so think I answered your question. I no, think I definitely. Did. I think that's so interesting. I don't know that I've ever considered the idea of pitching a joke in the writer's room and having to have a level of performance to the pitch itself. Like, that's a brand new concept to me. Well, you know, think about it. You know, you've got a show with multiple characters. And so, you know, there were some of us in the uh, Boy Meets World room, like the late Matt Nelson, who's, I, I, I miss him so just awfully, you know, we've known each other 30 years. I was part of hiring him to Boy Meets World. Michael said, there's this playwright, he has a play, go see it. And I went to the theater in North Hollywood, saw the play called Sensitive People and met Matt and knew he belonged with us. But Matt, Matt would channel Feeney's voice. Yep. You know, Matt ah. was great. And Matt came up with a lot of the iconic Feeney, uh, you know, things. I think, you know, I definitely, I mean, you know, they want you to take the roles. I mean, came <laughs> came from me and, and, and I wrote Corey very well. But to be fair, Corey really was an extension of Michael Jacobs. Yep. I mean, I'm, you know, there, there's yeah. no doubt Corey was a, you know, a uh, teenage Michael Jacobs. Um, but there were, you know, a lot of people that, you know, pitch in different voices and that helped sell it. Definitely. Absolutely. It's so funny that you say that because I think, especially with like Will here on the pod, um, that someone like Will will say like, oh, it, it's like Will make it funny or something like that. And so the idea of having a performer who could also see your words and deliver it in a way that like it'll elevate it, it sounds really important. So you brought that up. So <laughs> let's just start there with yeah. Will. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Will was a gift in comedy. Yeah. He is. And, <laughs> you know, was, is, will always be. But I'm saying back on that show, and there's always discussions, well, why'd we all of a sudden kind of angle and make him, you know, dumber, whatever. The one thing is, no matter how much we push that envelope, and we did, I mean, you know, the guy invested in a memorabilia of 
you know, bag, baggy Bagwell, the baseball player, who was about yeah. to break a record for the most times hit by a pitch. <laughs> Only Will would do that. But the point is we did push it, but no matter how much, the reason it did work is because Will brought heart and gravitas to it. Yeah. He wasn't just the dumb guy. He had this incredible winning art and wanted to love and to be loved. And you would see it in arcs with Tommy when he wanted to adopt the little boy, Tommy. And so the reason that we kept going in that direction, and I'm, I've heard it mentioned on the pod, and I was the one that said it on set after a run through, I turned to Michael and a bunch of other writers and said, this is a young Jim Carrey. Definitely. Yes. And it's so evident. Yeah. So evident. And so you could, fans could say, oh, they made him too dumb, or he should have been this, or he should have been that. When you have gold in front of you, yep. you don't throw it out. You mine it. And with his incredible talent, we were able, he was the funniest teenager on television by far it's it's agree. so funny because you know uh we're, we've reviewed six seasons so far we're about to start season seven in our our progress of of reviewing the show but seasons like four through six will shines and steals yeah. the scene and almost everything he's in and you like to your point no matter how silly the storylines are the heart is always there to kind of balance it out and kind of you know make us still see eric as a person versus a caricature hundred percent. You know, I recently did a watch along for uh, charity during the strike. Uh, Kit Boss had an auction and there was, you know, uh, art sales from The Simpsons and scripts and lunches and ended up raising one hundred and seventy thousand dollars, which is wow. incredible for the yes. entertainment fund, uh, entertainment community fund. And I was asked, you know, to donate a watch along of an episode with a fan. And I brought Danny McNulty and Ethan Supley as a, as a surprise onto the, the watch along. And the, the winner was, was blown away and had a great time. But the episode they chose was uh, uh, the bed and breakfast that I mentioned earlier. Such what a great episode. A classic. I <laughs> but the best part of that episode was not Corey and Sean. Oh, wait, now I'm getting confused. It wouldn't have been that episode. I'm mixing up things. The episode I wanted to talk about was, and I did see it recently, was when Will was in Boston with Feeney. Yes. yes. Ran into him. Yes. That was a different one. That wasn't the bed and breakfast. No, I, I think don't... it is the bed and breakfast. I That's think... why Feeney goes out of town, right? Be... Yeah, Feeney okay, is out then of town it was. in Philadelphia. Then it, then is. it was. Right. So, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the episode. But those scenes... Mm. With the two of them just talking and Feeney talking about he comes there to meet this lady friend and they always decide, you know, at the, they talk about, well, would you give up what you're doing to come move where I live? No, would I give up to go live where you and at the end of every time it's bittersweet, but it's no and you could see the pain on Feeney and will that was that was the moment where their relationship truly, truly, truly was solidified as a friendship that could not be broken. 
I love that you mentioned that because that's exactly like, I remember when we watched that episode, first of all, that is one of my favorites and one of the most memorable episodes for me, specifically for the bed and breakfast stuff. But the Eric and Feeny-ness of that plot is so amazing because as you said, it's a friendship. Eric is a wingman. He sees him as more than Mr. Matthews for a little bit. And to be able, I guess one of the things that I wanted to say is how were you guys able to write such like mature content for kids in a way that didn't feel like you were speaking down to them? Like, and it's, it's something exactly. that you do all the time. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've never written on any Nickelodeon shows. If you notice, I mean, despite my resume and how prolific I am in the family and, you know, YA space, I'm not a fit for Nickelodeon. I'm not gonna, I mean, occasionally on Boy, we would do a broad storyline. Occasionally, of course, we did 170 episodes, but I'm not the guy that's gonna write, okay, they fall in a giant vat of melted cheese and then roll around in tortillas and then get chips thrown on them and they're human tortillas. Like, I just, I can't do that. And to Michael's credit, he made it very clear from the beginning that we're not gonna, you know, Kids are so far ahead of what you think they are. And, you know, my kids, you know, I never had the talk with my two boys because apparently Homer Simpson already did. (laughs) You know, they watched The Simpsons at like 10, 11 years old and learned everything they needed. And so if you do not write down to them, they will appreciate it maybe not even be able to articulate what they appreciate. But that's also why years later, it's rewatchable and rewatchable over and over again. And people just laud it with such love because it was never a silly kid show. It always had adult themes. I mean, I always talk about the episode where um, Corey shows up to Sean's trailer, knocks on the door, Sean answers, tries to shoot Corey away. And then standing in the in, in the hallway is uh, the girl wrapped in a towel. And Corey's like, oh my gosh, my man, you scored. Yes, yes, tell me. How do you not tell me? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then we come to find out it was nothing like that. Sean is protecting her because she's being beaten by a relative, by her father, I guess, at home. Yep. And she had bruised arms. Dangerous Secret. It's from season four. Dangerous Secret. Exactly. And um, so when you do episodes like that, you're 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 clearly not the group of writers writing down to the kids. You're challenging them to feel and to think, because when an audience feels they'll come back over and over again, whether they could explain why they're coming back or not, they will come back if they feel. That's what that's one of the biggest things that I took from the show is that it almost had this John Hughes approach to where I felt like Whoa, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you know that's that's my hero. Yes, yes. You know that? I did a little yeah, bit. I've listened to uh, oh, okay. we know, right. we that. We <laughs> but it's still look, I think it's it's testament that it's it comes across as that way. It feels yeah. very much a coming of age story in a relatable um, almost pure way. Just took those issues seriously in the way that I think kids actually appreciate it. And a, a lot of other, those like Nickelodeon type of broad shows always made jokes of the things that you guys took seriously. 
hundred percent. I think we, you know, we tried to make the coming of age moments uh, as honest as possible. You know, uh, even, you know, one of my favorite scenes that I think John would have been proud was uh, when Corey and Topanga were trying to figure out what I love you means. And uh, yeah. the jean jacket was tossed oh, sure. through the window and Danielle grabbed it and held on to it. And I love that scene. I love writing that scene because that to me, that was, you know, part of the honesty of the journey. You know, Mark, you were talking about, you know, being influenced by John Hughes and really kind of incorporating these more mature storylines into Boy Meets World. Did you feel a, a shift in the way you were able to approach these storylines when you went on to Girl Meets World being on Disney versus ABC? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were battles from the very beginning. I mean, you know, untold truth, uh, the process of the pilot was one of the most painful things Michael and I and Matt and Jeff Minnell ever went through in our writing wow. careers in that we rewrote that pilot. There were two nights in a row where we had to do page one rewrites and did not go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is the executives didn't like the way we wrote the kids. They thought we were writing above their heads. Mm -hmm. And they're like, kids don't talk like that. And we're like, trust us. We did 170 episodes or 156 or whatever the number is of Boy Meets World because I guess we maybe kind of do know how kids want to hear other kids talk. And they didn't get it. And they fought yeah. us on it. And they also were afraid their male audience would not like the show. Um, you know, the the Girl Meets World version with Ronan and, and, and Sabrina. And I remember at the testing, there was in the in in the audience test group, there was a young teenager, and he must, you know, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, and he had a, a hoodie much like mine with the hood on and baggy pants and <laughs> You know, we talk, you know, dude, what's up? Like, you know, <laughs> and we, Michael and I are looking at each other going, oh, we're finished. They're good. They brought in a guy like this to prove that they're right. And boys won't watch Girl Meets World, et cetera, et cetera. And they go around the table and they ask him what he liked about the show. And he goes, yeah, yo, you know, I got to be honest. I like the way the girls talk to each other. They're very honest wow. with each other. You know, and I really think it's cool, you know, yo, the girls, I, I mean, I dig it. And, and and again, the point being that the executives don't know. Yeah. They're guessing. And 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 we knew, but there were a lot of battles in, in, in the kind of stories. And we had a, you know, the way Disney operates is they can have one mom or dad or aunt or whatever from middle America write a letter and go, I was offended by X, Y, and Z. And Disney will listen to that one letter and come wow. back to us and go, and and that's no way to run art. Definitely. I, I have a question. That's just if no way to, to run it. If you were to write, like say you were to write two letters saying, I enjoyed that episode. <laughs> would that have any weight? Really? That's mm. so interesting to know because what I know about Girl Meets World, we I've watched it and we, you know, plan on at some point in time doing it. But the thing about Girl Meets World is I remember you were just kind of getting into the grooves and we were like, oh, this is prime for it to be aged up, for them to start dealing with 
the topics that we knew Boy Meets World would not shy away from. And it seemed like it got cut right before that. Yeah, so, I mean, we danced around it, you know, as, 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 as best we can, you know, we had Sabrina crushing on the older, uh, you know, character Josh. Um, you know, we had certainly had the romantic triangle. Um, and But at the end of the day with that, we wanted to land on, you know, friendship, friendship, friendship. Yep. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, we hit death a little bit with the death of uh, Cloris Leachman's character, you know, the, um, it, it was just more of a battle all the time. Like, you know, and, and again, as good as girl was, and by the way, girl was nominated for three primetime Emmys, wow. which boy never was. We never got the flowers from, you know, the academies, never. Girl was nominated three consecutive years. We went to the Emmys and we thought, oh, maybe we'll win an Emmy. And uh, it never happened, but it was always, it just was never boy. And the audience who loved boy would never give girl, you know, it's just due because they would always compare it to boy. But nonetheless, super proud to have done the 75 episodes. Super proud that we were one of the first reboots, relaunches, continuations, whatever you want to call it, and yep. then set a trend. Um, and the talent on that show was pretty formidable. Sabrina Carpenter, clearly, I mean, now, you know, yep. she's out yeah. with Tay-Tay, <laughs> um, opening for her in, in, in Brazil and whatnot. And Rowan is this incredible human and a super talented uh, actor in her own right, but a wonderful advocate for LGBTQ. And um, the people were special. And I've been really blessed throughout my career with some incredible, incredible young people that have grown into incredible uh, adults who contribute to the betterment of society. So I've been really, really fortunate with the people I've been surrounded by. Yeah. To that point, you have been uh, connected with so many. You've been connected with the Olsen twins, as you said, the cast of Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World. But when we were on the lines, you told us the story that you had involvement in Smart Guy. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you so, explain that story um, a little bit? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, when I think I was uh, on a deal with Disney at the time, and I was doing boy. And if I remember the timing, we were going to be on hiatus uh, for a couple of weeks. And they were shooting a pilot called Smart Guy with uh, Taj. Was it Taj Mowry? Mm -hmm. And um, Danny Kalis and Bob Young created it. And one of the Disney execs said, we're having some trouble. The table read didn't go very well. Can you please come to set? and?" help with the rewrite so i went down there and we did a run through and i knew specifically don't ask me because i won't remember <laughs> but i i back then i knew it you know it needed a b and c and um i stuck around and and really did a large rewrite with bob and danny on the first act 
And then I said to the executive, who's no longer with us, his name uh, was John Litvak. Um, I said, John, he goes, I'll see you tomorrow. And I go, <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> I'm going to Europe tomorrow. I'm going. I might, I've got a plane and it's flying to Amsterdam. And apparently I gave him too much information. He called his assistant and then an mm -hmm. hour later, and this is, you could, nowadays you could never get away with what they did then, but he comes to me and says, we changed your flight. You're leaving in two days. <laughs> wow. You will be on set. So I came back the next day and helped with the second act. And it was a charming, charming show. And to this day, and the only reason I, I'm reminded of it and, and mention it is because um, a good friend of mine, Jenny Quine, another writer who actually I, I brought her on the Olsen twins and she's written a bunch of Disney stuff. I think uh, Sweet Life she was on. And she has a party every every year on her birthday. It falls on Memorial Day and she has a big party. And all these writers throughout her career that she's friends with go and I go. And Danny Kalis is always there. And Danny always turns to me and says, you made me so much money. <laughs> you're, you're the guy that helped put smart guy on the air. And I am forever thankful for that. I What I you love know? about finding this out is because the smart guy pilot i think takes place at john adams high which i always was kind of curious about so that answers that question for me um and, I and also... do you remember the mascot was the penguin penguin that's right it oh, was the penguin what about the penguins <laughs> I, uh you know you you've been involved with so many shows specifically like you know we bring to to mind these shows from the 90s with Girl Meets World kind of coming into like the cable era of television. Now we're in the streaming era. You know, what's how how has the streaming platform changed television from your side of things? What impact does it have on your job and your creative process? Or how are things different compared to how they were for cable or for, you know, um, ABC? Well, uh, you know, I don't know if it's specifically the streaming model to blame. Um, I did do an Apple show. I was uh, part of a show called Ghost Rider. Um, what an Emmy we for did one, right? Won an Emmy for it and was nominated, <laughs> I think, for three total ones. But that was my first. Actually, it's right over my shoulder. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> it is. Um, and it was a single camera show. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's a single camera show. Uh, it, it, so it was different. Um, but it was really rewarding. But in answer to your question, I think everything is cyclical. The pendulum swings, it will always swing back. I think where I was affected, like so many others, the streamers decided that multicams were not fashionable. Yeah. And who's going to suffer the most if you're getting rid of multicams? Well, it's family sitcoms. So while the streamers were flexing and, you know, the, they were also getting rid of incredible shows, you know, the Gordita Chronicles and, you know, Netflix got out of that business and, 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 and HBO Max announced we're not doing family stuff anymore. Nobody was really doing it. Nickelodeon was, but I don't write that, nor do I want to. Um, you know, unless they come to me and say, hey, we want a mature show. We want a very relatable show. And 
what was so, I remember, you know, I, I had a show I developed with Miles and his partner Capri and Danielle was attached to direct. And it was a, a show called I'm With Her. We took it to one place. We took it to Disney and Danielle was attached to produce with me and direct. I was going to write it with Miles and Capri. It was fantastic. And we pitch it to Disney and they say, yeah, you know, it's a great idea and stuff. But we're, we don't do these kind of shows now because we're losing. Our young audience is going to TikTok and YouTube. And I just looked at them and said, give them a reason not to exactly yeah. like my kids watch stuff on tiktok youtube but they watch succession and fargo and atlanta and every other cool hip show shrinking ted lasso whatever they just want to watch good stuff Definitely. these are the yes. executives making decisions the same fools that you know kept Hollywood shut for five, six months when they could have settled it in one week. They don't know. There are people with jobs that don't know. And one of the things, you know, I'm obviously a, you know, uh, an activist when it comes to WGA and, and, and the union and stuff. And one of the things I kept tweeting out was to the audience, they don't care about you. They don't care what you want to watch anymore. Yep. They don't want to give you what you want. Be aware when they raise the prices of their monthly subs, they are basically messaging you that they think you're fools and they'll, that you'll pay anything regardless of the content. And we're not giving. So when all these places are not doing shows and I get hit up on social direct messages from parents constantly, why are there not more shows like Boy and Girl Meets World? Well, I'm with her is boy meets world meets girl meets world. It's a hybrid, a bit of both. Um, you've mentioned Miles a few times. I just want to uh, identify for our listeners. That's Miles Warden, who was on our show earlier and talked about the strike. Um, how does it feel to see your protege kind of like yeah. have his own success and have shows, but also equally be active in and a voice during the these times for the WGA and SAG? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to answer that, but I know you know the answer. <laughs> yeah. I know you both know the answer. I have incredible pride, uh, obviously for both of them, but more so for Miles because we're in each other's orbit constantly and for many, many years. Uh, for those who don't know the story, Miles was a huge Boy Meets World fan. And I mean fanatic. And it was a show that, along with many other shows, really, you know, helped shape him. And um, he, when we rebooted or continued with Girl Meets World, Miles was in the audience every week. Well, some weeks with friends, some weeks alone. It got to the point where we joke about it, where sometimes security would come up and <laughs> talk to our line producer and go that dude's here again and he's alone <laughs> and is that and we're like i think it's okay we think it's it's okay right yeah it's okay and then he became you know friendly with rowan and and then one day he introduced himself to me you know after the shows audience who stayed would come down to the rail and we would go up and say hello and thank you for coming and all that stuff and he introduced himself and and talked about what a fan he was of of, of a lot of my work and he didn't even tell me he was a writer and then maybe the third or fourth time after we 
you know, got closer and, you know, we talked some Lakers and, you know, we talked different things and, and there was a comfort with each other. He said, you know, I'm pursuing writing and I wrote a spec Girl Meets World. And by the way, that's the worst thing you could do is hand somebody an episode of a show they're doing for many <laughs> reasons, because one, we may have already done the story Two, maybe we pitched the story and threw it out because it was ridiculous. Um, nobody's going to have the voices like we do. So it's a very scary thing. And the script was, you know, um, it was okay. I mean, he'll tell you that. Yeah. Because uh, I know he'll listen to this. <laughs> so I have a choice. The script was amazing. And we went into production and we shot it word for word. I could say that, or I could say, you know, it was okay. Uh, and I, you know, it was encouraging. And then he started writing with Capri and they wrote a one hour show called Forest Hills Academy. And I sent it to a friend of mine, Yvette Lee Bowser, who, you know, created Living, Living Single. Single or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she did Dear White People and she did many, many, many shows. And she's a good friend. And I sent the script and told Miles and Capri, I sent the script and they were very, very happy. And then, um, we just they would write these other pilots and 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 I would give notes and say why something worked and and I took a genuine interest in in mentoring them and then I thought you know what like I've been doing this a long time I don't have the need to be the sole creator when I could bring somebody in to work with me and teach them how to run a show and make my life easier so I I brought them on to do I'm with her. And ironically, we have another show that I came up with that I want to write the pilot with them. And we start pitching it after Thanksgiving. It's it's more um ballers meets entourage. Okay. Ooh. It's called it's it, it's called New Money. So it's about a bunch a bunch of athletes at a fictitious California school who they're going to school, they're playing ball, they're having fun. Well, because of NIL, they also have millions of dollars in their pockets. Wow. And so it's this show called, it's basically, yeah, Ballers Meets Entourage. And we're going to take that out uh, after Thanksgiving. So um, wow. long answer to your question, I'm towards the end in that I'll keep doing this, but I've been blessed. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. And I want, you know, the next generation to have what I have. And it's one of the reasons we did the strike, right? I have an yeah. incredible pension when I retire. Um, you know, I was doing 20 plus episodes of television every year um, and was streaming and stuff. These guys are doing eight episodes and then maybe not working for three years. How are they? I've got like 350. How are they going to get 350 episodes of TV? Yeah. They're not. You know, so we're going to, as long as I'm around, I want the business to veer back to, you know, quality television and long runs. Nobody gets anything out of eight episodes a season in comedy. There's no way. It's yeah. ridiculous. So, um, but I love working with them. And um, so there's a lot of pride and I love his activism during the strike. I loved him yeah. captaining at Radford and his energy and his his tune choices weren't always the best. <laughs> but, you know, 
Nah, he rocked it, man. He had Beyonce Day, he had a Janet Day. Yeah, the other great. You know, he rocked it. And uh, so, you know, we kid around that Allison, his showrunner from Act Your Age, and me were his show business mom and dad. <laughs> and that's how I feel. I really do feel like, you know, he's my showbiz kid. Well, that's so great. Mark, you've been very gracious with your time with us, and we really, really appreciate that. Uh, before you go, we do have like a few things. We've talked okay. about all of the highlights that we love. Again, like the boys' bed and breakfast episode is one of our favorites. Uh, they want you to take the role. It's iconic. You are known for one of some of like the most fundamental episodes of Boy Meets World. However, we've been pretty critical of some of your episodes as well. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Specifically, like the B plots or like something that we felt like uh, Boy Meets World is very known for getting close to a topic, but not quite either finishing the thought or like leaving it dangling. So, what do you say to people who like critique? Um, you know, I said I would give you guys about 55 <laughs> minutes. Time's up. I really. <laughs> I gotta peace out. This was fun. Uh, bring it. Let's go. <laughs> no, again, to that to that way. Um, again, what sure. do you say to the critics who are like, "Hey, why why do we have like this really silly subplot in this like great story? Like, what are there like reasons why certain plots have to be in? Are you trying to hit like character minimums? Or sometimes was it just like, we thought it'd be fun and like we do things differently now. Wow. So a little bit of everything, uh, a little bit of everything. Now, sometimes I'd hear on, on Pod Meets World, we'll say, oh, I never got to do stories with you a lot. It was always me and Bill and blah, 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 blah. Well, here's the reason to that. The kids are in school. When they're in school, we need to be productive. We need to film stuff while they're in yeah. school. If we took Eric and put him in their stories too, then, you know, we don't have Eric to film scenes with Bill. So yeah. that's something that the audience doesn't know. And sometimes, you know, the kids don't even realize that. I, I, I will always call them kids <laughs> the 40s they don't realize it so there was a reason why will was doing a lot of those b stories um you know as far as touching a story and not going deeper you know a lot of times it, it would involve a guest cast member and if we went deeper and maybe wanted to arc it over two or three episodes well, then it's going to start taking things away from our core cast. It's hard to sure. service, you know, so like I, people often talk about TK, Harley's sister, mm -hmm. Danielle Harris, how great she was. Why didn't she come back? Well, if she comes back, then it's less for our regular people. And we're paying our regular people a lot of money. So there's always these yeah. reasons, you know, that our line producer will come to us during the week and say, hey, in this episode, we need X, Y, and Z to be able to produce it. But if you, you know, have a specific example of a story that you wish was different, <laughs> I want to hear it. I want, like, this is, I, I adore you guys, so I ain't afraid of nothing. Let's, let's talk. And if I remember, then I could maybe shed some light on it.
I'll I'll say this. There's so many episodes that you have written. There are some of my favorite episodes that have some of my favorite jokes of all time. Till this day, the on the air episode where he says, uh, don't look, maybe he doesn't see us. Yeah, no, but yeah, don't move, move. maybe he doesn't, he doesn't see us. I, I will lo- say love that joke. Jeff, my right uh my friend who's one of the writers, Jeff Manel, actually wrote that joke. Love um, that joke. And it's one of the best jokes ever (laughs) is looking right at sean (laughs) don't move maybe he doesn't see us just love it you've uh you know there's some episodes like uh uh i ain't gonna spray lettuce no more long walk to pittsburgh security guy which i feel like really touched on some topics that we loved um you know uh ain't gonna spray lettuce no more i feel like really fleshes out alan long walk to pittsburgh is a really iconic i think maybe with the most iconic episode of the show um security guy kind of dealing with eric and higher education one of the episodes that i I, I'll say I didn't care for, and I'm. we've kind of debated this, was Who's Afraid of Corey Wolf? I found that episode to be a very silly episode, but I feel like Siege likes that episode. No, 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 no. I did not like that episode. I did love Phyllis Diller in it. I thought that she of was course. hilarious, yeah. and it's, she felt so seasoned, but I also felt like at the time, if we're making the kind of, um, what is it called? The puberty analogy, I was very wondering, it's like, why didn't we stick with that? Why do we need the yogurt shop? You know, it's like, there were lots of things where it's like, I felt like we could have just dived more into it. That's what I'm saying. It's like, we got close to it. And then we just kind of like dropped the ball halfway. And that's something that we say pretty often. So I have a great answer for you. It was the first Boy Meets World episode that I wrote. I didn't have juice. Mm. Didn't love the episode. Liked parts of it as a Halloween romp, which yeah. we were instructed to do by the network. Um, loved having Phyllis Diller there. But it was a very silly, silly episode, very broad. And since we touched on puberty, which was awesome, I would have rather pulled out two or three scenes that were not surrounded in insanity and really dealt with mom, dad, what the fuck is happening to me? Exactly. And, 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 you know, but again, now, you know, it was my first episode of boy meets world. Uh, we ended up writing, which is unheard of. We wrote five in season one, yes. five wow. episodes. Yeah. And then we wrote five in our first season. So season two of the show, then we wrote five the next year. And, uh, you know, certainly whether we had a credit or not, we, the middle years when we ran the show, we were writing so much. You know, one of my favorite episodes that Jeff Sherman was the written by on, but we all had a, a part in it, um, was uh, Shallow Boy. Uh, He's a shallow boy, shallow boy. Leisha Haley from a band uh, called The Murmurs. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went to see her perform uh, at a club in Venice or Santa Monica. And she's still around now and she's amazing, Leisha Haley. But that was one of my favorites. But but in answer to your thing, yeah, Who's Afraid of Corey Wolf was... um, not one of my favorites, <laughs> but you know, even 
some of the Vader episodes that I was responsible for, I loved just because they, you know, they, they got to explore, you know, Frankie's home life and stuff like that. Sure. And, and um, if I was, you know, if it was my second or third year on the show, I maybe would have said exactly what you're pining for, which is if it was going to deal with puberty, why not slow it down two or three times and really deal with it? Sure. You know, to, to give you some credit, you know, uh, something that we've said a bunch and something that we've heard kind of repeated as we've gone to these live shows is that seasons three, four, and five are the heart of the series. It's everyone's like favorite point. I'm so excited for the Pod Meets World cast to get to season four because that's to me, seasons four and five are just my favorite. And I know that these are the seasons that you had the biggest hand in. Um, you know, I, I, as much as we're kind of nitpicking, I do just want to point out that you were really there during the highlight of the series. So I just want to make sure that we give you a no, and, for that. And listen, and, and I appreciate that. And, you know, people will send me links to lists and, you know, rankings and all this. And, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm like, you know, seven of the top 20 episodes, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Looking back, and that's why I was so emotional at the Orpheum at the Orpheum the other night is because I've gone on to do so many incredible things, but this one thing is just remained um, and taken up residence in the most active parts of my heart. Sure. And you know, to have people, you know, I'm a big wrestling fan, obviously, and I was at an AEW show Saturday night. And a friend of mine who's a wrestler, they would introduce me to other wrestlers and inevitably go, Mark Rome produced Boy Meets World. And he's the guy who put Vader. Yeah, exactly. On the yeah. Show. And then all these wrestlers are like, oh my gosh, that was insane, brother. <laughs> filmed at the pond in Anaheim in front of 15,000 people, brother. How'd you do it? I, I was nuts. I can't believe I filmed an episode of a sitcom in front of 15,000 people. Wow. But I did. Traumatized. And... and <laughs> Yeah, in the process but, <laughs> but yeah. a highlight a but highlight it, on the show definitely a highlight just you know in that little moment at the end we talk about heart you know just danielle and ben standing yes. in the empty arena in the ring dancing her sweet 16 dance i love Very that episode. i think it's such a tightly written episode i love the flintstone stuff that gets brought into it it's like <laughs> what television we're real life this is gonna <laughs> we're <work."> real life <laughs> yeah we love doing that i remember when they were moving us to 9.30, Corey was babysitting. And yes. the kid's like, I want to stay up and watch my favorite show. You can't. What? It's on at 8.30. No, it's 9.30. They're killing it. They're, killing They're trying the to show. kill it. They're trying to kill it. Why are they putting it at 9.30? I love doing that. And again, that's what made us special. And and, and Michael deserves a lot of credit for, for that. He really allowed all of us to, to, to mm -hmm. bend. You know, wherever we thought there were boundaries. No, boundaries are just meant to be stretched. Definitely. The, the last little bit that I wanted to say is we have, have stories that seem like they were growing or being developed, and then they just kind of seemed to drop, i.e., Eric wanted to be a weatherman. Like, we, like, loved that storyline, Stormy Weathers, I think is what it is, <laughs> when he, like, really finds his call. And Eric has like this intelligence or these skills that are rewarded. And we just feel like that storyline's dropped. Same with Corey really being into video and recording. And that seems filmmaking, yeah. Like filmmaking is where he would go. And then it gets drops. What do you feel like 
what were the limitations that uh, that came from? Or was it just like we weren't serialized at the time? A bit of both, but but things like that should have stayed alive. Um, I'm a huge, both professionally and personally, a huge fan of Alex Desert. Love Alex. Yeah. Um, you know, I would have loved him to have stayed on the show. Yeah. I would have loved him to really encourage Corey to do more of that filmmaking stuff. Um, to your point, they didn't like us serializing because back then with syndication, the order of shows sometimes gets mixed up, you know, and, and so they're worried that when it's serialized, you have to air everything in chronological order. So yep. they frowned upon it uh, back in the day. Uh, stor uh, stormy weather. Eric as a weatherman was the most natural thing <laughs> ever. Yeah, those two episodes were glorious showcases yeah. for him as an actor. The relationship with him and Rusty, um, who played Alan, was glorious. Uh, John O'Hurley as Cal Kilbride. Um, you know, I, I I think Jeff Manel had the written by credit on Stormy Weather, but we wrote a lot of it and, and we wrote, we had developed, uh, and I was friends with him. Um, he's passed away, but Alan Thick, you remember oh, Alan yes. Thick? Canadian heartthrob Alan Thick? Canadian heartthrob <laughs> Alan Thick, Thick of the Night. Also, the dad on Growing Pains. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he did a show called Hope and Gloria. And he played a character called Dennis Dupree, who was a very vain, uh, you know, news guy, maybe a weatherman too, I don't remember. But lines that John O'Hurley said as Cal Kilbride were lines that we had written for Alan Thicke in a pilot we developed wow. for him. Loved a character like that, where you come up to him and you just say, hi, how are you? And he thinks you're complimenting him and goes, why, thank you very much. You know? And then here, I need you to take my pants to the cleaners, young yeah. Eric. And he just takes them off right in front right of him there. and hands him his pants. Um, the comedy and the heart in that episode was perfect. Amazing. The mix was yeah. perfect. And yes, um, looking back, I would have revisited Eric as a weatherman again. And and by the way, the serialized stuff, I'm saying it and they said it, but it's bullshit because we could have written it so it was standalone-ish anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's easy 30 years later, let's go to the video. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, why'd we do that? Oh, look <laughs> at that one. What were we thinking? It's easy to yeah. Monday morning quarterback 30 years later, but that's one you brought up, and that's one I agree. I would have loved to exploited that storyline because it was gold. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it was you know so much more substance than when he was good-looking detective. Yes, he's a good-looking guy. I still sing that song while I and brushing my teeth in the morning. I love yeah. that song. But as you said, it was a right. natural evolution. Yeah, uh, we have yeah. something called on the fit or at the fence, where basically it's really quickly. We're gonna list a couple of things. And you just gotta tell us what side of the fence you're on. Are you for it or are you against it? Really, really quick. Let us know. These are hot topics in the boy meets world fandom. Very hot topic questions, Mark. <laughs> We're gonna throw them at you. Side yard. Yes, that was the first one. Front yard, or, a side yard or backyard. Okay. okay, side yard. 
Should Topanga have gone to Yale? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, okay. 100%. Uh, do you like the pairing of Eric and Jack? Like, there's a lot of fandom. There's Eric and Jack as a couple. That's one of the things. Or Eric and Rachel. Which one do you think actually had, like, more meat of them story-wise? Eric and Jack. Love it. Um, first Morgan or second Morgan? Second Morgan. <laughs> Good. And, and I think you already answered this one, but from a writing standpoint, again, Corey and Topanga or Corey and Sean? Corey and Sean, without a doubt. And I love Danielle. And the show is not the success it is without her. And she's phenomenal. And she's amazing. But the driving couple of the show was Corey yeah. and Sean. Well, again, Mark, we feel so privileged to have you on. Um, this is a huge deal for us to talk to you. You know, we're jumping into season seven and we've just been, you know, uh, dissecting your work <laughs> for the last six years of our podcast. And it's just been one of the highlights of our life. And so we're just, we're really appreciative of everything. And, and we didn't even touch on Sean and Angela, which was under my watch. Exactly. Oh. I know. So All much. Right. We will, we are hitting Angela's men, so we will talk about that with you at some point in the time, if only to get like Absolutely. like notes. Uh, but we will let you go. Um, and just wanted to, again, give you your flowers. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, yeah. Uh, and thank you guys for all your support. I, just, I don't know what else and to thank say. You yeah. for, you know, thank you for keeping the legacy alive. You guys have a big part in that. So thank you. That was work. <laughs> I, you know what? It's it all. It's surreal. It's all surreal. <laughs> I would you fangirl every single time we talk to somebody. I'm I just like, oh, we gonna get into. This. Hey, Mark, we have some critiques, and you just like, I love everything you did. I don't know what his problem is. <laughs> it's so you know what I I think it's true that like how he was saying you know when you go back and look at footage that's 30 years old it's really easy to kind of have these critiques and don't get me wrong a lot of our critiques are warranted and a lot of our critiques are justified and things that he even himself agreed with but at the same time it's when i see someone who's like oh i'm doing a collection of work i'm doing 20 plus episodes you really kind of have to step back and look at the forest instead of the trees and when you do that what you see is a forest that's endured for 30 years so Absolutely. it's just kind of hard not to fangirl when you're around these artists who have created work that has really just kind of had the the longevity that boy meets world has absolutely uh you guys i hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we did uh just so you know that was not the full interview we have a much longer interview uh that had so many fun conversations with mark that we want you to experience but in order to experience i think now is the perfect time to share with you that you guys we have a patreon <laughs> what, 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 what? A Patreon. Exactly. Uh, as you know, we, like all other uh, podcasts, uh, have been doing, like, we wanted to reach out to you guys. We have all this bonus content. We needed a place to put it. You guys like more hearing from us more. We like sharing with you more. So we started a Patreon. And for season seven, we have a lot of great content with you. We are starting off with the extra bonus content. That is um, our interview with Mark Blutman. But not just that. You guys have been asking us about my date with the president's daughter. And guess what? Guess what's on Patreon? Oh! <laughs> so head over to patreon.com slash world, sign up, choose your um, level, and we look forward to bringing season seven to you as well. Guys, who knows what can end up on this Patreon? You want another mixtape episode? You want us to do a movie review? Who knows? The content 
possibilities are endless. Absolutely. And you guys, as always, uh, we are going to milk this cow as much as you guys will let us. So we have merch as well. So <laughs> don't forget, check out our merch store. Uh, subscribe. We have very comfortable hoodies. It is now hoodie weather. Siege is now wearing a Brahmi's World hoodie. If you guys aren't watching this, they're very cozy. They're very comfy and they make for a perfect Christmas gift. So as you guys are doing your holiday shopping, please check out our merch store because the Brahmi's World hoodies are an elite Christmas item. Absolutely. You guys, we... Thank you so much for being with us in this past year. We thank you for listening to us from the beginning. We look forward to doing season seven. We look forward to connecting with you in all the ways that we have and can continue to do so. Um, I don't think there's much else to say other than uh, remember to subscribe, rate us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, always dream. Mm, try. And while you're trying, make sure you're Try to do good. Do some damn good, y'all. Later, bros. Bromit's World was produced by Siege and edited by Tony Curtis. Bromit's World is a two free tokens media production. Hi, guys. Bye. When the spawn meets world.